0: So someone left a comment on one of my videos on YouTube that I thought was really uh a good a good thing to address. I thought it was interesting entry point um for something to discuss. And essentially what he said, and this is someone who knows me well and knows the channel and knows what I talk about and all that, and was watched um, according to him, every video I've ever made. So <laughs> probably has. Uh, and essentially what he said, I'll summarize, was that there there's a bit of a discord in the feeling um uh, surrounding the way i talk about awakening um whether it's an event or not an event or whether it happens suddenly or slowly and all this and essentially what he said was that <clears throat> while i do say that everyone wakes up their own way and and it's different it can be different for everyone and it can happen however it happens um the fact that I talk about it as a an event, like uh, there's an awakening and then there's shadow work and then deepening, um, somehow that became fixating in his mind. Like it, it felt like very real, like that's really what has to happen. And it becomes something that um, doesn't maybe resonate with his own experience of like a kind of a more of like a slow process, a slow awakening and so forth. Um, or just something so changing so slowly that you can't discern a particular point of shifting or departure from previous experience or whatever. Um, and that was the gist of what he said. Uh, that, that it was, it was, un, it was, there was something uncomfortable about it, whether it's the way I speak about it, whether it's the way he's perceiving it, whatever. Um, and it really, sometimes certain comments or certain interactions with people really like caused me to reflect in a different way, or, you know, reflect on something I've talked about many, many times, but maybe come at, come at it from a slightly different angle because I can see the way the mind just distorts things. It distorts everything. That's what it does. The mind is, the consciousness is, reflective consciousness is distorting in nature. I remember looking through the suttas, the Canon, at one point for something else, and I saw a statement that said literally that. And it was funny because I say that all the time. It's just something I've noticed and experienced, but it was kind of, I don't know, nice to see that 2,500 years ago, someone else noticed exactly the same thing that consciousness is by nature distorting. Um, it just is. Thought thought is a reflection and reflections are distorted and reflections of re- other reflections become grossly distorted and, and distorted in very complex ways and so forth. So. What I mean by that, or what I'm why I'm saying all that, is anything I say, no matter how I say it, can and not just can will be picked up by the mind and turned into something it's not. Um <clears throat> that's what happens. So whether I speak about it in terms of awakening as a process and something you can orient to, something you can sort of uh sort of practice or inquire into the nature of your experience, uh to engage your natural drive toward that or whether I talk about things in a very direct way and say there is actually no event called awakening, just like there's no event called anything because there's not actually existing time in which events could occur and there's not separation or space in which you could be apart from something in any way at all um, such that there's not even a you that could be apart. So it gets so, simple there's no way to talk anymore there's no words to talk about it right so this is a little meta about this kind of teaching or whatever you want to call it transmission or speaking um, and it's like okay well which which side do you fall on you know you could be very deliberate about there are stages you do this and then you do this and then you do this there's a fetter model that kevin Chanelet kind of elucidated that is based on the buddhist fetters which is very old of course um, which actually does work, uh, but it doesn't work for everyone. There, it does work for some people, but it's very stepwise. It says, no, you have to pass this fetter before you go to this fetter and this fetter and this fetter. Um, on the other, completely other side of things would be something like Tony Parsons and Jim Newman, you know, who, who essentially say that uh, the seeker, the sense of being a seeker, is itself an illusion. There's nothing apart from reality to seek anything. So the sense of being a seeker really is just sort of fueled by this, by the belief that doing something as the seeker is going to get you get that seeker to something called enlightenment or awakening, and that the whole thing is a fool's game, right? That's also true. It is true in a, in a very real way. Um, but both ways of looking at things have side effects for sure, absolutely. Either and, and both ways of looking at things can easily just be turned into another paradigm or another thought easily it happens to both for sure um, as i mentioned maybe yesterday during the talk it's a pretty big pitfall i see of people who learn all of the spiritual terminology the stages the doctrine they just learn it but it's just learned it's not insight it's it's really and and i kind of went into how that can actually be used to stabilize the the sort of ego or the separate the apparent the parent separate self and so forth But on the other hand, you can hear a message like, well, there's no one, there's no one to seek, there's nothing to do, and really misinterpret that, right? Um, (laughs) uh, You can still be massively suffering, have a lot of shadow material, a lot of avoidant tendencies, a lot of uh, hesitation, tone in life, and really be just thoroughly suffering and believe that, well, there's nothing to do. There's no one to do it nothing to solve, nothing to fix. You know, the seeker, the spiritual seeker, the one that wants to fix or repair something itself is an illusion. So that's not really good practice either. <laughs> you know, it's it's a not well applied uh message, so to speak. But what's interesting about this is this goes back far farther than contemporary YouTube spirituality or whatever. Um look at, you know, Zen is fascin- Zen is fascinating. So so what I'm saying is that it's something about the nature of of mind and consciousness and and awakening and realization that, that does seem to kind of split itself in, in in sort of two ways of looking at things, perhaps. Maybe we could talk about the true truths, you know, relative and absolute or something. But uh looking at Zen, it's it's Zen so beautifully, you know, evolving from Chinese to Japanese and in Japanese culture, things are very one way or the other, very purist puristic i don't know if that's the word but they like they don't like mixtures of things so it's like it's either this way or that way and so the soto and, and Renzai, at least contemporarily I, I cringe to say this in front of um, kogan because he knows this stuff so much better than me and could give great lectures on it but at least in the contemporary last couple hundred years whatever the the lineages are, are practiced very differently in one sense and that is soto and Renzai. renzi zen it's like no you have to go after that that fundamental illusion, and you do that with a koan, you do that with mu, and you have to approach it with vigor and energy and pour all of your seeking into that one pointed, you know, and break through. Because if you don't break through, you can believe all this stuff, you can believe all the beautiful spiritual doctrine and, and Buddhist, you know, dogma, but nothing will happen. There's no transformation, there's no shift. So, what's the point, right? And on the other hand, Soto is much, much more, at least contemporarily, like. Sit and just realize your Buddha nature, which is also true. It, it, the Buddha nature is not apart from you. It's not. It's not other than this. Truly, yeah. Um, so those are, t- in one sense, very different approaches, right? Um, and yet the so-called goal is the same. The, uh, I guess, intended outcome is is the same. And. to to add a little more historical and interesting context there, um, my, my lineage, um, really would be, um, through. So, so the awakening for me was while reading three pillars of Zen and reading some exchanges between a Zen teacher, master, uh, Yasutani Roshi, um, in Japan in the, probably in the late fifties, early sixties these stories and encounters he was having with the different students um, and various students. So reading these encounters, I kind of figured out what he was doing, what they were doing, and that's that's what worked for me. But Yasutani's yeah. uh, teacher, well, Harada Roshi, uh, kind of grew up or came up in a, in a Soto Zen lineage. And he, um, as the story goes, saw or found that people weren't really waking up you know, they they were they were sitting and the the Zen uh tradition was intact, but people weren't actually waking up and he just didn't like that. So he went and trained with in Renzai as well, trained in the Koan system and and then he infused the Koan system into Soto Zen, which is apparently not a common thing to do in Japan to, to like merge two schools in a sense that whatever, but that's what he did. And um uh and the that tradition has been a very robust tradition of intact transmission spiritual teachers or Zen teachers or Zen masters who were themselves awake and were able to propagate that you know even into contemporary uh united states zen centers and lineages and so forth um, and to me that's that's very that shows very, very deep insight on his part because the fusion, the idea that um, that it has to be one way or the other, uh, that's still of the mind to me. So I, I think the way I kind of transmit or talk about this or put it forward is definitely a fusion. And I did that not only intentionally, but I instinctually do it. I do talk about the, the, the feeling that this is a path that awakening is an event in your future. And, and really for me, that's an empathic movement because I empathize with the mind that does that and the identity with that mind. I understand that. I understand that that's how reality looks. It very looks, looks very linear until it doesn't. And I'm okay with that. That doesn't scare me. I don't, I'm not afraid that that's, not gonna, that that's gonna hinder you from waking up because I know what your awake nature is already. It's staring me in the face. It's not hidden from me or you. So I'm not concerned with talking in relative terms. It doesn't bother me. I'm not I'm not I don't feel fixated in having to speak in either relative or absolute terms at the same time it's very easy and um, it's very easy to speak in absolute terms or perhaps to point to the truth that there's nowhere you're gonna go you've never gone anywhere I know it feels like it but you're not going anywhere you've never gone anywhere and you don't need to go anywhere for awakeness to know itself in one sense awakeness already does know itself simply Very, very simply. So I guess my style, so to speak, is to actually move in both spaces. But back to the comment, um, what's interesting is even when I again and again and again and again point out that, yes, I have to talk about awakening as an event because that's how language is structured. (laughs) And yes, it is not. It's not an event. It's when events stop. It's when the sense of being someone moving through a series of events is seen to be a false experience or a mm, not a real thing. That is that is the definition of awakening. So it's very contradictory. Language doesn't work for this. It's not designed for this. So I just do my best, right? Um, uh, so no matter how many times I say that other part, how many times I say it's not an event, it's already right here, the seeking mind won't hear that part. It'll kind of hear it. It'll go, oh yeah, that, that's cool. That sounds really good. But okay, how do I get to that? That's just what it does. It's just going to keep doing that. And that's okay. It's okay that it does that. But, but what's fun about this, fun about this whole thing is it is very individual because people come to the end of that seeking in very different ways. And some of them become like, it's almost like an iconoclastic thing. That's like the Tony Parsons thing. It's like suddenly looking back and realizing that 30 years of seeking with Osho and all the other stuff, you know, that was just nonsense. There's nothing to seek. It's right here. But I just don't wholesale throw away all that 30 years because to me there is cause I mean to deny causality is a little silly, right? So um so it is it is valuable to seek, but not because the seeking causes an awakening, because the seeking exha- because the seeking exhausts the seeker. That's it. And it's true. That's what moo is. Moo exhausts the seeker. It destroys it, burns it up. But it doesn't say it's not there. It says it's there, use it, utilize it. Um these dichotomies are kind of all over the place. Like you could almost look at, I don't know, like N- Nisargadatta versus Rama Maharishi. The way they express maybe is a little different. Nisargadatta is very direct pointing. Everything's very direct, right? Uh, Ramana is also very direct in a sense, but also his book, uh, Who Am I? I mean, he very much tells you how, how to inquire. He tells you inquire, and he talks about effort, you know? Um, again, seems like a dichotomy, but the, the goal is the same thing, right? Uh, so when it comes to is there is there a, a dramatic shift called awakening? Is there something that's very obvious, um, or is it can it be just kind of a slow thing? And then you look back and realize it can be either way. Of course, whatever. Um, but I don't and I don't care. I, I care about the insight. The insight is obvious to me when people come up on stage and they're, they're sometimes not sure they've had an awakening or whatever. And all of a sudden it's just there's just nothing but presence, and it's very very obvious to them. And there's no doubt it's undoubtable that's awakeness. I don't care what event that seemed to occur around that or whether they remember it or how they remember it or how big of a deal it was. Awakeness is awakeness. But the insight has to be there. If the insight's not there, this can all become dialogue very quickly. This all can become conceptual very, very quickly. Uh, So it's really critical. The insight is critical. Uh, However it comes about, whether it's slow or fast, whether you even think of it as an event or not or it doesn't matter it's the insight that matters i will also say that if the mind is saying well for some people it's it's a slow burn and you know whatever and for some people it's an event and those both of those ways of looking at it to me are both conceptual they're both concept they're both in time they're both in the illusion of time right so don't trade one illusion for another right don't trade one illusion for another Um, and there's some frustration too, in the comment and so forth, um, which of course there is. And so my, what I pointed to, is I said, I'm not so much interested in, is it this way or is it that way? I'm interested in the frustration. I want you to stop there. I want you to really finally feel that frustration deeply and profoundly realize you can't control reality and you can't control it by changing the model through which you're looking at it. You can change the, you can change the veil all you want, but you're still looking through a veil. That's not gotten to the fundamental issue. You have to get to the fundamental issue. However you get to it, that's it. That's what you're called to do. The problem of birth and death, call it whatever you want to call it, but that you've got to address that directly one way or another. Got to go to the identity and stop trading one paradigm for another paradigm. Slow for fast, you know, A big deal for a small deal. All of that is just, they're just conceptual models. This isn't about any of that. Um, And frustration is okay. And it can feel very frustrating when you really start to viscerally perceive you can't do anything here. You can't control this. You can't, you can't force the hand of reality to make you wake up because you want to. That's the That's the illusion that's deeper than the conceptual illusion that we're abandoning through this process, however we do it, that I can control reality. I can make it the way I want it to make me feel better. That's a kind of mm, contracted way of experiencing. So yeah, if you feel frustration, if you've been at this a long time and no paradigms are working and you're mad and now you want to replace an old paradigm with a new paradigm and you know, I'm just going to tell you, that's just going to frustrate you too. You know, When do you see that the world of making paradigms is just going to fail you every time? Spiritual paradigms, all kinds of paradigms, it's just going to fail you. Frustrating? Sure. Disheartening? Sure. Devastating? Sometimes. But um, it's a good thing. Dispelling any illusion is a good thing. But it fascinates me again and again how how uh, flexible ego is, how flexible it is. You know, it's like, it's not this, it's that. It's must be this. Oh, you're wrong. You told me it was this, and but it's over here. And it's like, but all of that is just more concepts, you know? And I know, I, I empathize with that. I know that world. I lived in that world and it's enticing because it's, it's one sense it's safe, right? It's safe to, to get mad and disillusioned because of something you believed regardless of why you believed it and then just pick something else to believe. Now I believe this so it's you know, but it's, there's still a level of familiarity that that's unbroken there. Um, and it's a false familiarity. Familiarity is an interesting one to me, an interesting word or, um, pointer because there's definitely a familiarity that we are attached to, uh, as, uh, the familiarity with, um, with our preconceptions, even the ones that are uncomfortable and we know they're uncomfortable, and we tell ourselves we want to not have them, sometimes we still cling to them because of the familiarity. So that kind of familiarity is doesn't serve us well. Um, it purports to keep us safe, but um, but again, because the mind is reflective in nature. It's not the kind of familiarity that really does keep us safe um, It's familiarity with a with a series of reflections and all of that is disassociative or avoidant at some level and so we remain familiar uh, or we remain uh, clinging to the familiarity of that disassociation so while it's uncomfortable it's familiar so can we flip that around and Move into the unfamiliar, not knowing if it'll be comfortable or uncomfortable, and the, f- the moment you choose to do that may feel rather uncomfortable. Um, but the more you move into it, the more it feels something just beyond comfortable or uncomfortable. It's a rightness that's very hard to talk about. Um, it's a an okayness that you can trust. To let go completely. You can trust what is completely beyond yourself. That's a that's an okayness that there. It is and and that has a different kind of familiarity. So the same word points to two different things here. That's a familiarity that is like an ancient familiarity. Um, a transcendent familiarity. I like the phrase Prajna wisdom, transcendent wisdom. It's very much like that. It's indescribable, but it doesn't need to be described. It's very settling. And it's also wondrous, meaning there's always an element of unknowing to it. Um, To know something, you have to make distance, and there's no distance here. So it has a different kind of familiarity, a non-personal, non-divided type of familiarity. An uncompromise, it's an uncompromised familiarity. The familiarity of conditioning is, is, a, is compromised. We know at some level we're comp- compromising or negotiating. This, this deeper familiarity is uncompromised, and uncompromising, by the way. It doesn't care how you want it to be. It doesn't care how you want things to be. It doesn't care what you think is right or wrong for you. <laughs> but it's still the best thing for you, for sure. It's the best thing for all parties involved. Um, but it takes some mm, adjustment to trust that. Adjustment at every level the deeper realization goes, um, the more restructuring happens. But also, the more um, the, it happens at a deeper and deeper levels, actually. So there's a massive restructuring at the level of mind, often with some kind of shift in insight, awakening, whatever. Um, and then we, become, we come face to face with our shadow material. which is emotion. It's a, it's a deeper level. It's, a, it's where consciousness meets the physical, let's say, or is um, intertwined with the physical. And there's a restructuring that happens in, in the emotion body where instead of avoidance and struggle and distraction and um, repression, we learn. That the, the, the natural way is contact, acceptance, surrender, and just acknowledgement. Maybe not in that order, I don't know, but it's, it's those qualities. And that can take some time in the relative, of course. And then there's a restructuring at the energetic level and that's um well that was a really hard one to talk about but when people are going through it often starting before the, the loss of the self structure uh which by the way going back to the original youtube comment that one's obvious i mean i don't i've never seen anyone where that's a subtle thing <laughs> it's just not subtle i mean it's not um Perceptually, it's just obvious. Um, with that, there's a lot of restructuring energetically. So you might think after liberation from the fundamental illusion or whatever you want to call it, that it's over, it's done, and something is over. Something does come to an end that was never there. <laughs> um It's really weird, but it's obvious, but it's obvious what's not there suddenly nowhere to be found. It's like, you can't even remember what it was or how it was to be there. It's really strange. But, um, but you might think, oh, okay, well, yeah, then it's all bliss and peace and all that. And it's, it's very different than you would imagine. It's, uh, everything is so direct, so direct. And because it's not in time and you don't believe in time and because it's not in space, um, it's almost like, Distinct realities come into and out of being all the time, and one of those realities might be like pure fear for a time or something, and that's like whoa what no you know there's no way to orient away from it anymore there's no coping mechanism it's just an ex- it's a pure experience, and then it might be a pure energetic Kundalini type experience so your your bandwidth of experience is sort of infinite in a way um that can take some time to get used to, but that's a that's an energetic restructuring can also be experiences of like pure ecstasy too pure not not filtered um, but i I think the the physical these are what I'm describing are physical experiences maybe like there's not really a physicality but it that's that they're associated with what we call the body or the energetics of the body um but the restructuring is even deeper than that and it's this is impossible to talk about because it's not in the realm of experience anymore. It's just not in the realm of experience, but there is a restructuring. It's very natural and completely spontaneous um, and so then those those physical experiences, the intense Kundalini and intense emotions are un completely unfiltered and unfilterable uh and all of it, which and you won't be making a big deal about this by the way because. there's such a knowing that it's exactly right it's exactly what has to happen um you're probably out of the business of trying to share with other people and tell people about your stuff and it's just it's you don't need to do that anymore but um but it's quite something and then those will calm down Those those really gross energetics um kundalini and all that they will calm down because they really are related to that that let's call it energetic restlessness the ninth fetter maybe um right rising up trying to trying to formulate into something that could back out of reality back out of experience that could formulate an inner world it could formulate coping mechanisms it's not there at all and it won't you won't find it anymore but there's some it doesn't mean that the energetics like the local energetics aren't trying to find it but they, they pretty quickly realize that it's not it's not there to find and so they will calm down um and then when they calm down, it, it, there's still a restructuring, but it's at a very deep, deep level. And it's just ongoing. And it's not about you and it's not personal at all. You'll see the effects of it in a sense, around you, maybe, and so so forth, and even maybe even in in you, how you respond to things and so forth, but it's just completely spontaneous. And the 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 guided meditation I gave this morning, that if if there could be said to be a subjective experience, but it's not subjective really by definition but it, it would be something like that it's just like an empty clarity man it's no big deal at all it's just not that's another weird thing it doesn't sound because like again to the the mind that seeks or that tries to make models of things this sounds so otherworldly in a way it sounds so transcendent or big or or different than your experience um but it's none of those things. It's it's really, really simple also, and very ordinary. It doesn't feel special at all. Specialness is out the window by now. There's no sense of being special, of this message being special, of being up here talking to 250 people about this being special. It's not special. It's no different than me walking down the path over here or playing with the dog or eating. It's just It's just what's happening, very simple. I'd say like value systems kind of go out the window you know um I don't need to concern myself with value systems of what's good and bad and more important and less important simply because the trust is so thorough now it's, it's absolute it's absolute trust utter trust trust in what well it's not in me there's nothing there to trust it's not in humanity because there's nothing there to trust it's just empty clarity so the trust is like in appearance what appears it's in spontaneity it's in the words that come here from i don't even know where i can't say they come from nothingness because there's i don't find anything called nothingness either but something just moves the way it moves very naturally spontaneously and it seems to work somehow or know what to say know what to do but it's just trust so so it's not even like you have to stand back and say, "Oh, I trust doing this versus doing that." It's not like that it's just an it's a trust in complete immersion a trust in surrender trust in non-duality really in the the non-dual in the fact that there is no way that anything could act apart from anything else um, yeah, so even trust stops making sense here but it's kind of a flavor of it, perhaps. So while the specialness of spirituality goes completely down the drain, really, um, it doesn't mean that you're, I don't know how to say it, it doesn't mean you're not oriented to, to prajna wisdom or living truth. It's, it's just that everything is that. Everything is that. There's no no way to be a separate practitioner. There's no way to be a separate one holding the Bodhisattva vows up as special. It's not like that. There's no way to separate. Because if there's something called practice, then what is it that's not practice? Um, If there's something called spiritual, well, what is it that's not spiritual? If there's something called mundane, what is it that's not mundane? That doesn't make sense anymore. So Again, back to the term empty clarity, that's pretty good. Empty clarity, spontaneity. Nothing leaving a trace anywhere. nothing coming into being, nothing arising, but nothing being denied either. No need to deny anything. There's no need to deny appearance, form, people, situations, problems. Like there's no need to deny anything. There's no need to say that's the relative anymore. It's like a perfect union of relative and absolute. There's no, um, man, it's really nice to live without, uh, without direction. Um, like I can make a plan and I, I can plan this retreat for next year and I'll, I'll announce when that is and stuff before the end of this. Like that can happen, but there's no, there's no buy-in to it at all. There's no belief in it. Isn't that funny? I can tell you it, it it'll probably happen unless I die, but. It doesn't, there's nothing here that feels like attached to it, that feels responsible for it, that feels like it has to go that way. It's just not, it's just not there. So it's like entering, entering this moment, or I could say entering into the next moment or whatever, um, completely disarmed. So then you're available when you don't carry something from one moment to the next moment, then you're just completely available everything is available. There's just availability. You're available. You're available. It's all available. It's just here, because it didn't come from anywhere. (laughs) It's not going anywhere. It's very strange, in a way. It is kind of strange. It is strange, and it's strange and wonderful. And there's, the, and there's a sort of, I mean, uh, there's always this uh, kind of alertness in a way. Something's always, I hesitate to say this because this can totally be misinterpreted, but there's always something watching in a way. There's always something noticing. Like the moment someone, even in, in not in this setting, but in the moment someone starts to orient toward their true nature, if I'm interacting with them, like it's noticed immediately, in, instantaneously. There's an, there's an instant entunement to that. Someone starts to break a little bit out of that stereotyped conversation that's the hypnosis of mind identification. However that happens and wherever that happens, it's just suddenly like, oh, you want to talk about that? What is that for you? What do you mean by that? It just pops up, comes out of nowhere. And if it's, for me, I don't know why it happened, but it came out of nowhere more and more and then it turned into this. <laughs> what happened um it's the non-non-existent dharma vehicle is so infinitely powerful because it's non-existent <laughs> it's just par- everything's a paradox everything's a paradox there's no way to talk about this that i'm that we're engaging here with language but your body movement sound sensation its singing it And the senses become really hold this lightly because this is very, this is a bit very misuse of language. Um, the senses become a kind of portals to transcendent truth in a way, but it's, this is extremely visceral or very felt. It's not a not a heady thing. It's not a conceptual thing for sure. But the senses, when there's no sense of someone being the gatekeepers with the senses. There's no sense of someone at the center. There's no sense of um, any paradigm or way that things are or should be or have to be. The senses become this very interesting portal, like a tuning cosmic tuning fork or something and you have access to times and spaces far beyond this one. Intuitively. You feel an interconnection that does reach beyond this iteration of reality. It's a very gentle and subtle place. You can easily collapse your, your knowing of that through any intention through any conception, fabrication. So don't make this a goal. Just keep addressing the fabrications and the illusions and the fixations and do it with love, curiosity, and contact. And it will just open more and more and more and more until all there is is opening. Opening beyond anything you could ever, ever imagine. Opening beyond the energetic limitations of this body-mind. Opening beyond the limitations of the physical laws of, of, of what we call the universe. <clears throat> this is not only available to you, it's right there in all of your sense gates. It's the ultimate gift of just being alive at all. It doesn't matter what state you're in, physically healthy, dying, old, young, wealthy, poor. It doesn't matter at all because it's right here available to you. It's profound beyond profundity, subtle beyond subtlety. infinitely flexible, and thoroughly innocent. How's our time? So if what I'm talking about resonates in any way at all, even if there's a lot of doubt or seems far-fetched for you, it is far-fetched for you because the you is a, a limitation. It's a collection of illusions. But it's attainable, for sure, in this lifetime. My Zen teacher said this in a beautiful talk one time. Nothing I've seen has convinced me otherwise. The limitation is how much you want to hold on to your doubt how much you want to hold on to the familiarity of doubt. That's limitation, but that's between you and your doubt, not between me and you. You won't convince me of it, <laughs> that you can't wake up. It'll never happen. <laughs> um, so if this resonates at all in any any way, it's attainable, of course. Um, but, and the but is this, you don't attain it by r- trying to remember this cool thing I just said and trying to like, orient toward it. Just feel into it. And then know that the more deeper you feel into it, the deeper you feel into presence, presence is going to show you that presence itself has all kinds of textures. And some of those textures are not what you want. They're uncomfortable, contracted, gritty, slow. And there's textures of mind that are really uncomfortable, like time. That's a really uncomfortable. And these are just textures. So it's okay to go through all those textures. It's okay to be um, to be that open space of consciousness or the open space of knowing that—that that really does allow everything in. Um, and and don't don't do the the traditionally spiritual mistake of picking and choosing. That's the like wide wide spirituality. That's the bane of wide spirituality. Is picking and choosing. This is all about peace and bliss and happiness. And don't do that to yourself. Because you will overlook, bypass, and repress intense emotions that need to be experienced fully, thoroughly, and ultimately integrated. Really, but that's a natural process. They're integrated when they're not pushed away, repressed, etc. They're just part of experience. So to have to 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 recognize, know, and realize this infinite bandwidth of experience, I'm talking about. um, you have to realize the infinite bandwidth of experience within yourself and within in the emotion body and um, see everything that's there, feel everything that's there. So just know this process is very nonlinear, topsy turvy, very uncomfortable at times. Just don't go to the mind to save you, because it won't. It'll just confuse you. Go to experience. Go to surrender. Go to Contact, and things will just continue to open up.